You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 33 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and as always, I'm your host, Pimp Cron, and we aim to ignite the flame of hobby in all of you while we cater to fluff and casual gamers. As is normal, we have a lot of stuff to cover tonight. You may be asking exactly what we are covering. Well, in no particular order, we have a real talk with the Pimp Cron. Where is Battlefleet Gothic? Loremaster Alex and I discussed that. And we really feel like that may be a niche, the space naval battles. We really feel like that might be a niche that is not being taken care of, not being fulfilled, etc., etc. We discussed that. We also have a Get Brittle with the Pimpcron where I'm continuing my coverage of supplement book number two, the Psychotropics, and we are dealing with the Swamps of Sadness. Another part of the show is that we have a Tesseract mailbox coming from Grendel, and Just James and I uh, discussed that, and he, uh, Grendel tells us a story about how he played in a tournament and he had a really bad cheater that was very obvious about it. So that's an interesting story. We have a, well, here's an idea with just myself, and we're going to change objective capping rules because um, the I think that there has a lot of room to improve with that, and I think we may be doing it wrong. Finally, we have a Want That or Want That Not with me and Loremaster Alex, and we discuss Anvil Industries Miniatures, which is another third-party company that is in the same vein that we have been covering other third-party companies for the past couple weeks. So if you enjoy the show and you'd like to support the show, you can either leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or any of those podcast platforms. Um, that helps us greatly because the more reviews that you get, the more you show up on search engines when people are you know searching Warhammer or whatever for podcasts. So that is greatly helpful. Also, I would like to thank, as always, all of my Patreon subscribers. I'd really like to thank them a lot for supporting the show. And if you would like to contribute to the show, please join us on Patreon. That would only be 25 cents an episode if you joined at the $1 per month level, which I would greatly appreciate in helping support us in our endeavors. I think that's about it. Let's get on with this show. Let's open the Tesseract Mailbox. Welcome to another edition of the Tesseract Mailbox. I, as always, am Pimpcron, and this, as always, is... Just James. It's just freaking James. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not that freaky. <laughs> it's freaking James. So you've got a message here on the pimpcron at gmail.com from our friend Grendel, who is a listener of the show. And what does he write, Mr. Just James? Uh, he says, hey, Pimpcron, since your podcast is the only one I listen to, you get the Aww. privilege of receiving every piece of the fan mail I write. Sorry. We're fine with it. We'd love to hear from you. This week, you talked about sneaky whack players, and it reminded me of a time I played a sneaky whack player. A while ago, my store held tournament once a month, seeing this as a chance to get a few games in, I would often play in them. One time I was up against another orc player. This guy brought almost all boys. Playing a horde in a tournament is difficult since you have to try to keep your pace up so not to have your game cut short. Not this guy. He was an older gentleman who measured each orc movement, rolled each boy attack separately. Good God. Each wound separately. Every <laughs> save separately. 
It took him well over an hour in a two-hour match to finish his turn. I was annoyed but not upset. I figured he was just a slow player and I had a bad draw the first game. Okay, so first of all, yeah, bringing a horde of boys is a kind of a no-no in tournaments. Unless you do like our friend Max does and he actually brings um, trays, you know, like a tray that'll hold 10 boys or whatever. And you can just move the whole movement tray at one time. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of a, a rude thing. But, you know, maybe it's his first tournament, whatever. Just like you said, maybe he's just a slow player. Who knows? But he rolled individually. Yeah, that's that is that's a real annoying jerk move. That's ridiculous. Think about it. You got 15 boys in close combat. We'll just use these current rolls now, okay? You're getting four attacks each. So I roll, here's the first boy. Four threes, and then four fours. And you save it. The second boy. Four threes, and four fours. Good God, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, we have speed rolling speed rolling rules for a reason. Yeah. So maybe this is an indicator that he's a bit of a dick, but please continue. Okay, uh, on my turn, I luckily did enough damage to him to pull ahead on points. It was a kill points game, and I wiped out a couple of his squads on my turn. That is when he somehow learned to roll more than a die at a time. <laughs> it is funny how losing made him start rolling handfuls of dice. I ended up winning that game since we had 10 minutes left after the second round, and we were told not to start a third if we could finish both turns. Oh my gosh. He was extremely salty and said I was a poor sportsman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Grendel's the poor sportsman. Uh, luckily, I had, I never had to play that guy again. I would see him from time to time, but he never played in the tournament again. It is sad. I hardly ever play against another orc player. Usually, orc players are a fun lot. We swap stories and talk about converse, conversions and wahs. I do love it when a sneaky plan backfires. Have a good one, Grendel. Well, first off, thank you for writing, Grendel. We always love to hear from you, so keep them coming. Uh, what's your take on this, Just James? This guy was a real shyster. Yeah, he's real uh, POS um, for doing that individually rolling stuff. Also, he's not even good at being a shyster. I mean, because rolling individually is a very obvious thing you're doing. You know, if you're going to try to get over on somebody and be sneaky and be a cheater, you got to make them not realize that you're doing it. Yeah. So when you're rolling every individual orc boy, good God. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So, um... What do you do for that, though? You just sit there and do it. You just sit there and let him do it. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I might mention it to a TO or something and go, Hey, he's rolling every individual orc boy. They're all kitted out the same. Come on. Like, you know what I mean? Man. Other than that kind of makes you feel like you're being petty. Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking. You just sit there and take it. Or you just... <laughs> feel like a little baby and like grendel said oh suddenly on the second turn oh now he knows how to speed roll yeah that's that's just rude so anyway thank you for writing grendel we appreciate it and um you can send your letters to pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron or of course you can always uh call into our hotline which nobody ever calls i wish they would thanks for being on just james no problem want that or want that not. Well, it looks like we've got another want that or want that not with the pimp cron and lore master Alex. How are you doing today, Mr. Ma lore master? I'm doing pretty well, doing pretty well. You know, I just I finally kicked my warp dust addiction. Oh, did you? Yeah, and the problem is, is I killed my addiction by going into another addiction. So now I'm addicted to German dungeon porn. Ah, uh, well, there's worse things in the world. Yeah, that's yeah. true. 
Um, today, you wanted to discuss another third-party company because it's so fun to talk about third-party companies because not everybody knows about them. Yeah. Unlike GW Product, which everyone who's listened to this podcast would know about GW Product. Yeah. And I always like to kind of give these guys free promotion. Yeah. Because a lot of this, their stuff, like as a guy who, like as we've said before, and I'll keep saying again, is a huge fan of doing custom work. Mm-hmm. I always work with these guys a lot, and I've bought a lot of stuff from these guys in the past, and I want to talk about their newest line of product they just came out with, and who I'm talking about is Anvil Industries, based mm-hmm. out of the UK. Yep, I've actually bought things from them in the past. Yeah. Heads. Um, Anvil Industries, I mean, many of you probably who are you know fans of modding and stuff like that have heard of Anvil. Um, they're definitely one of the bigger names. Yeah, they're definitely the big kids on the block Yeah, on third-party stuff. But they have just come out with their Rogue Cultist line. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to show Pimpcron this because I feel like we were just talking about how cool it would be to make like religious fanatics. Mm-hmm. And how we used to use Fagellans from yep. the Empire. And now they don't make... I think it's hard to get those models now. Uh, that, they're, they're de- I mean, they they still make them, but they're, you know, they go off the website or come back and all that. Yeah. Um, it, it's very hard to keep making those kind of robed figured guardsmen or religious cultists for chaos. So these guys, this new set, um, what was, what exactly called robe cultists? Yeah. Um, they're basically all wearing Friar Tuck-esque robes and they've got like the little, um, the, the rope belt with the tassels and all that. Yeah. Um, they all have hoods and there's, um, of course, um, one thing they specialize in is just parts. So you can buy complete kits, right? Yeah. Um, you can buy a uh, ten cultists for thirty five dollars US, which is a complete cultist with weapons, heads, everything, bases, and thirty five dollars is nothing. I mean, that's basically, yeah. um, I believe a box of guardsmen is thirty five dollars. Yeah, and what's nice guardsmen. about this is their shipping and handling is like four bucks. Nice. And if you order over, it's like over seventy pounds, which like current British currency, uh-huh. but I believe that. I think turns into about like, it's like 100, $150. You US. spend 150 in US on the site. They send it to you for free with like tracking. Nice. Um, and that's awesome. Uh huh. And I know in a couple of times during the holidays, they've changed that to like, if you spend a hundred bucks, we'll give you free shipping. During yeah. The holidays, which is nice. So they have heavy weapons teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is obviously specifically made for people that want to run Imperial Guard as um, uh, uh, Renegade Guard. Yeah. Or, of course, you could just use them as cultists for chaos, obviously. Yeah. Or if you had some other type of theme to your Astro Militarum that you wanted to use, which would be cool. Yeah. You know, like if you do, um, like, oh, I play Grey Knights and I want to ally in some guard. Well, all my a guard look like cultists, you know, like yeah. they've got the... They're um, like the, uh, what do you call them? The uh, the support members of the yeah. Space Marine chapters. You know yep. what I mean? And of course, we're not talking about, these. there's nothing inherently evil about these models. We say cultists because they look like they're cultists, but not necessarily chaos cultists. Yeah. I mean, it's not a far leap at all to make yeah. them chaos cultists. But you can also, it's not a far leap to also jump back and say, well, they can also be um, religious pilgrims mm-hmm. of the Imperium. As we always know, there's tons of shrine worlds and stuff like that. Yep. And shrine worlds do have to muster guard regiments. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what the one group is called. There is a specific guard regiment in Only War, the Imperial Guard RPG system, mm. and they come from a shrine world. And they all wear robes with, like, a giant breastplate, and then they have, like, silver masks that they wear over their faces. Nice. Yeah. 
So this actually, um, this supports this because as we're looking through the different arms and the weapon options, they have a bunch of different torsos. They have torsos on their knees. They have torsos, uh, torsos, um, looks like they're walking, other ones standing, yada yada. Some manning gun positions. Um, yeah, gun positions for the heavy weapons teams. Uh, they also have many, many, many different sets of, looks like, what, eight heads per, seven heads, seven yeah. heads per strip. And um, it's seven heads for $4. I mean, that is nothing yeah. as far as... And it's ma- they also have male and female options, yep. too, which I think is, you know, awesome. They have, um, they have male and female bodies as well as the heads. And um, you're talking about the masks on. Well, yeah. they have they have several different variants of these heads. So they have the heads with um, that are hooded. Then they have hooded cultist heads with gas masks, which it has a very adeptus mechanicus look. Yeah. Um, then you've got headed hoods with a half mask, which kind of seems like what you were talking about the silver yeah. masks on them. And then you've got hooded masquerade heads with full masks, which are like the ones I was talking yes. about. Yes. And if you made them silver, that would look pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, everyone knows, uh, I've been talking recently that I started a Grey Knights army. Mm-hmm. And seeing these, I'm like, man, I'd love to ally in some guard and make them literal, like, acolytes. You know, like, yeah. you know, I'll run in front of the Grey Knights. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, look out, sir. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But, you know, the, the real icing on the cake here is i have to say is the robed priests yeah the so, eight, like the the pseudo hq option yes and you get two of them yeah for uh, for 16 1593 so um that's not bad at all and they also include bases which is something i think is great because not all third parties include bases that's yeah. true and these bases look just like gw bases they're elevated they're slightly uh, beveled on the end oh yeah um, i've had them before where they're basically like uh like just a thin piece of plastic like, yeah. there's no elevation to the base. It doesn't look like a GW base at all. Yeah. Um, and they're flimsy. Yes. So then what you usually end up doing is just throwing away that base and, yeah. and putting a real GW base on it. But these robed priests would be awesome for company commanders, platoon commanders. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So they basically, the the first guy they, they show basically looks like a, a bishop, like a Catholic yeah, he's bishop. Got, he's got the pimp hat on. Yes. You know what I mean? The, the Pope pimp hat. Yep. And he's got like a little chest piece of armor, which I think is really cool. And the armor has an open book on it. Uh-huh. And he's holding a book in one hand and carrying a sword <laughs> raised like he's saying, charge into battle, you know. I mean. The... Glory to the first man who dies. <laughs> charge. To, this really, really is getting me going, though, because yeah. I, I really was going to do just pure Grey Knights. Yeah. But now I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, man, I, I so need some, bad. I, I, I need <laughs> it. So. Uh, in addition to the book and the, um, the pistol, they also have what looks to be, um, it kind of looks like a plasma pistol. Yeah. Um, plasma pistol-ish. Uh, they also have another torso that does not have the book on the armor. He looks, um, I would say a little bit more like, um, a Tibetan monk. Yeah. Very, and almost very Celtic in some regards too. Yeah. He's got a lot of like little ornaments and yeah, yeah, the, the Celtic, yeah, it looks like he's wearing an old timey Celtic helmet. Yeah. And he's got a necklace on. He's got stuff hanging off his belt and things like that. He's got like that weird circular disc on it where his stomach is. Oh, like I didn't that even see piece that. Of yeah. Armor. Yeah, you're right. Um, and he's got kind of a sash across the whole thing. So that's the, that was my first impression with the uh, the Buddhist, you know. Absolutely. Um, he's carrying a book. So you the options that you have are carrying a book with one arm. You have an arm holding up a scroll for people to read. You have a um, another book arm that's holding the book in a different way. Yeah. You've got a pistol arm. You've got a sword arm. You have an incense that they can carry. You have another pistol, and then you've got three different heads. Two, one of them is a skull with like a, a bishop head, 
one's a regular bishop head, and then one is just a regular guy with that Celtic helmet you're talking about. Yeah. So just with this, you don't just get two complete models. You get a lot of different options. Stuff that you can, you know, incorporate into other models if you want to kit bash and add on to this. So like, for example, you could save the, uh, you could use the skull helm for one of the guys and use the Celtic helm for one of his uh, company command unit members. Yep. You know what I mean? Or the incense. Yeah. You know, like for a sergeant or whatever, yeah. like that's, that's pretty awesome. Agreed. Um, so really you're getting two full models, but with the extra bits and everything, the three heads and the different sets of arms, you could easily add them, like you said, to other models and give them that same aesthetic. Yeah. So um, now just... in the reverse, what's the guy next to those robe priests? Okay. So the guy next to the robe priests is also pretty sweet. Uh, he's called a robed cult leader. And what does he look like, Loremaster? Uh, he looks like a worshiper of chaos, which makes me kind of want to put a bolt round through your laptop, but I'm going <laughs> to refrain from doing it. Yeah, he is definitely a, a cultist leader. So this is definitely for those who want like these guys to be renegade cultists or renegade guardsmen fighting alongside your space marines, uh -huh. i.e. the blood pack from uh, Dan Abnett's books. So his armor has basically rib cages on it. Yeah. You know, where he's, he's, and he's got all these weird ornamental runes in his shoulders. And then there's like these, uh, panels of armor that go down his legs. He also has a robe on, but he's got the most, like you said, the most metal sword ever. Yeah. <laughs> Literally screams from a heavy metal album. Yes. It's like so skulls on skulls on swords. And even with this model, you have um, several different sets of arms. So he's got a um, his his one arm can either hold a pistol, his or it can hold the giant sword, and his other hand can either hold a flaming skull or um, just an open hand like he's casting magic or directing people. Yeah. Uh, what's the What's the other biggest feature about this model? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the giant thing of spikes on his back. <laughs> yeah. With impaled skulls on them? So it's like he killed a bunch of lizard men. Yeah. Or elephants. Maybe he's an elephant poacher. Who knows? And there's all kinds of gigantic tusks slash spikes sticking off the back of him. And of course, they've got skulls stuck on them, which is typical. Um, but uh, this is this is pretty cool. I mean, even if you didn't want to go the cultist route with this guy, if you look at his face, he could be like a vampire too. Yeah, honestly, you could definitely, I could definitely see this guy being used in uh, age of sigmar too. yes for soul blight because yeah. of that freaking epic sword he's got of skulls and spikes yeah uh just don't put the pistol on there but yeah. other than that i mean and the flaming skull fits right into that motif too yeah i mean that's just that's pretty cool now as for detail on these models Pimcron, you know how i am a fiend about the details uh-huh um with these guys i would say that they're pretty detailed but not super detailed uh, probably right around the same level of detail you would get from like a Forge World model, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I agree, and they're they're also resin as well. Yeah. Um. So you know, of course, third party miniatures they have all different ranges of different detail, and this is not bad detail at all. Um, it is not like you know the the highest you know like Wildest Exodus or um you know Malifaux. Yeah. It's not quite that level. But um, I think they're a pretty good deal, pretty good deal money wise. Yeah, and, uh, you definitely you definitely get what you pay for. Yeah, and you and get, you a, get lot a lot of options. bang for your buck. Yep, a lot of options. Um, so all in all, I definitely think it's a want that for me. And honestly, I'm thinking about making an order because I could really just thematically have yeah. a bunch of cultists allying with gray knights, and yeah, they're put like, put your boner away. Yeah, <laughs> and um, all right, well. That's a want that for me. Is that a want that for you, Lormaster? Oh, it definitely is a want that for me. You love this company anyway, right? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Thanks for listening. Now, here's an idea. Welcome to Well, Here's an Idea with the Pimpcron, and today I want to discuss maybe we should change the way we score objectives. And the reason why I say this is because I've given it a lot of thought. Um, number one, I never liked the idea that we did three points for each objective at the very end of the game in previous editions of 40k, like 5th edition, 6th edition, whatnot. Um, where you didn't score any points at the end of your turn for holding them, but you did score them at the end of the game, and they were three points each. I did not like that because uh, it really ended up being a quick uh, land grab at the end of the game, such as uh, Eldar jet bikes or whatnot, you know, waiting in the wings, and then they used to do that famous Eldar jump, jet bike jump, and they would land right on the objective and, you know, take it or whatever. I think uh, jet bikes are troops, or they were troops, or something like that. Anyway, and... Um, I never really liked that. I, I thought that was kind of cheesy. You know, I mean, it is a strategy, of course, but it's not a very, I don't know, worthy strategy, I don't think. So I was very happy when they started doing, like, Maelstrom objectives and things like that, where they got one point at the end of each player turn if you score an objective. I thought that was a really great addition to it. And then, of course, you score three points at the end of the game as well when you're done, um, you know, the, the game. So you're getting one point at the end of each turn, and at the end of the game, you get three. But the more I think about this, the more I feel like, and um, the more I feel like I don't like the point swing at the end of the game. So let's just say you have three objectives in your game, and it's the end of the game. Now you've been holding the objectives the entire game, and now your opponent can just jump on the objectives at the very end, and each one of those objectives he can capture at the end of the game is worth three full turns of your hard-earned victory points. And I don't really, actually they're worth four, because if he does it on the last turn, they'd be one point each for him, and then they would also be three. So I don't really like that, because the theory behind me not liking it is that, you know, the, the same reason why I don't like kill points. Kill point games basically incentivize people to bring the nasty-ass list they can, the cheesiest shit, the net lists, the, you know, hyper-competitive re-rolls on re-rolls, etc., etc., and it's, it's much less about strategy. It's point and click. Oh, my assault units, they're definitely going to assault. My shooting units, they're definitely going to shoot. There's no reason for me to change this. You know, melee units do that. Shooting units do that. Blah, blah, blah. It's very straightforward. It's very much like you could just plug in all of these units and use a dice roller and determine the end of the game without ever playing the game because everything is so, uh, you know, um, predetermined almost. And that's why I really like the uh, Maelstrom objectives, because that forces you to change your tactics and do things that you otherwise wouldn't. It's interfering with what you're trying to do. Because the game can get very, very linear when both people, you know, I'm Tal, I like to sit back and shoot. Your corn uh, cast Space Marines, you want to run up and attack. I mean, it's, it's very boring. So... Uh, it really, kill points uh, really incentivize people with the kill, um, the, the very cheesy lists, and also scoring more points at the end of the game incentivize people to bring really cheesy lists as well. And the reason for that is, is they can basically, you can fight all game trying to get, you know, a victory point here, victory point there, but meanwhile you're exposing yourself to them, and they can pick you apart, and at the end they can pretty easily get as many or more victory points than you just for sitting back and pouncing at the last turn. And, you know, especially, let's say you have nothing left on the field hardly. You know, they shoot you to death, and then, oh, last turn, we just hop on the objectives. 
I really don't like that because that's kind of in the same vein as kill points and the fact that, you know, whoever can kill the most, and of course, we're just ignoring the whole, you know, dice rolling thing for right now because obviously if you're rolling well, you're rolling bad, that'll affect things a lot. But if you, um, if you're just worried about killing, that is usually indicative of a nasty list or a, you know, net list or whatever. It really doesn't have much to do with tactics. Obviously, melee has more strategy behind it than ranged, but it still is all about killing and bringing the better units and the more powerful units. It's not really about tactical choices. So what I propose is that I would not want to get rid of scoring objectives at the end of the game, period, but I also want to keep the one point at the end of each turn because I think that's really great. I think that shows... You know, you could be winning the entire game victory points wise, and then they snatch the objective points away from you at the very end of the game, and they're the end of the game is worth a lot more than all the aggregate points, you know, that you've been struggling so bad to score. So it seems to me like we need to either reduce the number of points that objectives are worth at the end of the game, or we need to increase the points that they're worth in during the game, which will force people towards the center of the board. It will force people to make choices that they may otherwise not want to make. Like, I'm a gunline guard or I'm Tau. I really don't want to get up there. I would rather just shoot you from afar and then take the objectives at the very end of the game. But it's going to force me to take units that, okay, I have to have some units at least that will get up there and snatch objectives during the game. Uh, I think, you know, we all say that um, melee is kind of um, subservient to ranged in 40k. And that's somewhat true. They've made a lot of steps towards making it better. But, you know, I think this also helps balance things just ever so slightly in melee units' uh, favor as well. Because you're forcing some of those ranged units to get up into your range, uh, charge range. So, I personally feel like objectives should be worth two points at the end of each player's turn instead of just one. And that would help balance it towards, um, you know, your entire... So the victory points should indicate how well you have performed in this game, not just how well you have lasted. So if I'm speaking extremely, what you both could do is just hide all game, and then it's a game of uh, musical chairs to, oh crap, you know, am I on the objective? Are you on the objective? Let's all run forward. And of course that's being ridiculous, but technically you could do that. So I would suggest two points at the end of each player's turn, for objectives and potentially three points at the end of the game you know like that for capping them at the end but honestly i think i'd like to go one step further i would like to do two points at the end of each player turn to help make it actually indicate how well you've done throughout the game and not just at the very end and then potentially either make it one or two points extra at the end of the game for each objective so on the very end of your player turn on the last turn you would score your two objective for the victory point uh, two victory points for the objective, and then whoever holds them at the end of the game would get one additional victory point or maybe two additional victory points. Because um, you, do, you don't want to make it so that whoever starts out first originally does well and just stays ahead out in front of the opponent. You want to be able to swing that back. So I do feel like the objectives at the end of the game have to be worth equal to at least, I think. So when I'm thinking this out, I really think that um, two points at the end of each turn is worth it, and then two points at the end of the game. And that would 
overall it would make the end of the game slightly less uh, imbalanced compared to how well you've done the entire game. And I believe that's about all I have to say about this today. So that was your, well, here's an idea for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. In this segment, 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 kind of like Sigmar, Sigmar, um, age of Sigmar, age <laughs> of Sigmar. In this segment of the show, Loremaster Alex and I are going to be talking about why they be no fleet space ship battle games. You butchered that real hard, <laughs> yeah, I know. but it's okay. I still love you. I, I OJ'd it. <laughs> like, I yeah, you OJ'd the shit out of it. <laughs> um, and you know what? I'm going to publish a book. The juice is loose? No, I'm going to publish a book saying, I didn't butcher that intro, but if I did, here's how I'd do it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're here to talk about why there aren't so many warship games. Yes, you know, more or less. It's, it's bizarre, in my opinion. We've got every other kind of miniatures game out there. We've got Flames of War, where it's like World War II simulator. Yeah. We've got... Warhammer, which is of course space opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got even now Star Wars getting in on it. They've got their Star Wars Legion. Yeah. Uh, we've got you know D and D, which is a, a role playing game mm-hmm. system, and they have miniatures for that now. Um, but like there was a point in time when there was a lot of different warship games, and now it just seems like there's none anymore. So of course you know the elephant in the room would be Battlefleet Gothic. Uh, that was now that was out before I played Warhammer. But, oh, I remember those models. And I know a lot of people love Battlefleet Gothic. I love those models, even though they were giant pewter models, solid pieces, yeah, solid pieces of hardened metal that you could peg a mugger with. Yeah, that's you know? the truth. That's <laughs> and the truth. I remember snapping so many freaking bases because they're heavy. Because they're heavy as sin. Yeah, um, Bliggity Blam Steve actually has shown me his Battlefleet Gothic models, and yeah. they're cool looking. Yeah. But, um, Giant cathedrals in space. <laughs> but apparently, just like all the other games back then from Games Workshop, they were very, very, very detailed. And very, like, very, very expensive. Well, of course. So uh, that's a given. Well, it's that's Games Workshop. So they're bringing back Titanicus. They're bringing back... Um, uh, don't, don't ever say Titanicus to me again. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm still... I'm still nettled about that damn Titan. That's funny, because uh, one of our listeners, Nate, uh, he came to Shorehammer, and uh, he was like, yeah, you guys are talking shit about Titanicus. I like Titanicus. <laughs> I remember that argument, because I completely defended my subject. I'm like, yeah, I think it's a pretty cool system, too. Not $130 for one little-ass Titan. Yeah, 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 that's ridiculous. A Titan that's smaller than a Dreadnought? Just make it like, a reasonable price. Yeah. I mean, come on. Make it the same price you would for, like, I don't know, Mech Warrior? Yeah. You know I mean, what I mean? It or Battletech stuff? But anyway, we're not here to bash Adeptus Mechanicus. We're here to ask. Or, uh, Adeptus Titanicus. Well, we're definitely going to ba- bash Adeptus Mechanicus because then they're just going to hack into our computer. That's true. And put a machine spirit in there. So, um, Battlefleet Gothic eventually went the same way all the specialist games for Games Workshop went. They went by the wayside. Necromunda, Mordheim, uh, uh, Blood Bowl, all of that. And every few years, they always cock-tease us with the promise of, oh, Battlefleet Gothic might come back this year. Now, they do have the video game, which I have not checked out. Which is fantastic. Is it really? Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2, who dog? Wow. I love PC. it. I love it. Love it. 
Nice. I, I might I might want to check that. Is it real time, I'm assuming? It's a real time. Yeah. Uh, but what's really cool is they have like a huge map campaign now mm-hmm. where you jump between systems and they have uh, campaigns right now for just the Imperial, Eldar, Necron, mm. and Tyranids. But they will be releasing DLC where you can also play as the Orcs and I believe, um, what's the other faction? I cannot remember. This Eldar? Is- I think Tau? Yeah, Tau. That's mm. the one. So those little blue men. So I mean they've they've re they've reinvented Mordheim because the PC game's pretty good. Yeah. And um they've reinvented, you know, Blood Bowl because yeah. the PC game's pretty good. And Battlefleet Gothic. They're bringing all these things back. Even Warhammer Fantasy Battles in Total War. Yeah. You know? Warhammer Total War. Yeah. So but the thing is is we still don't have it on the tabletop. Yeah. And I personally have always loved the strategy, the planning, the maneuverability, the uh, weapon arcs, everything of either naval or space naval games. And I mean, they did do Dreadfleet, which was cool, but there's and like they, only eight ships. Dude, they did the one set Dreadfleet and then never spoke of it again. Yeah. Like it was... It was like they really, really... It was the redhead stepchild of their... Of their uh, that one time they were trying to come out with just strictly box games. Okay, well, I was going to say it was like a one-night stand. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they hit it and quit it with Dreadfleet. <laughs> was... or, or it was like the, the illegitimate child of a one-night yes. stand. Um, so, I do hear, though, in fairness, J- Games Workshop sends Dreadfleet $5 every birthday in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> and a cease and desist letter. <laughs> BTW, I'm not your dad, but here's five dollars. Happy birthday! BTWs, please cease and desist on calling me your parents. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Dreadfleet, um, Bliggity Blam Steve, I keep bringing him up for some reason. He was in love with Dreadfleet. I remember, and like, and Billy Bam Steve does not like me that <laughs> Billy Bam, Billy Bam Steve, <laughs> Billy Bam Slim Lamb. No, um, Bliggity Blam Steve despises me predominantly as a person in he our does. game group. He does, but he actually coaxed up to me to play a game of Dreadfleet. On yep. a couple of occasions, because I showed so much interest in it. And he painted all the models. Beautifully. Like beautifully, yeah. Beautifully painted, because we know, I'm not going to, I might not like the guy, he might not like me, but I can admit that he does a really damn good paint job. Yeah, he does. Um, but, uh. But they just quit it. Yeah. They, they completely dropped, the, I think that might have been some white dwarf BS, that they like, oh, here's some mission or something. But they never actually supported the game. Right. And here's my other, here's another thing too, is that it's not just Games Workshop. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Fantasy Flight. Mm-hmm. Fantasy Flight released X-Wing, which, I mean, is still going pretty strong even after the 2.0 release, which apparently pissed everybody off, off but I don't know why. Um, I actually really like the 2.0 system. Asides the point, uh-huh. they also did uh, Star Wars Armada. And they came out with a, a lot of really cool ships for the Empire and for the Rebels and then just stopped. So X-Wing is basically the skirmish version of that. It's a dogfighter. Yeah, yeah, where Armada would be like grand battles, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you had like actual wings of X-Wings and TIE Fighters. That's cool. And like bat- Star Destroyers duking it out with Mon Calamari cruisers. And you had like the you know the, C- the CR-90 blockade runners. Mm-hmm. You had those, like those tiny little blockade runners. That's cool. Duking it out with, you know, Star Destroyers. And you had the Nebulon Bs. All those kind of re- really cool, iconic warships. And then what? They just dropped the line? Yeah, because it wasn't selling enough. But, the, and the, reason, but the problem was because they weren't supporting it. Oh, they, yeah. Like, look at, look at X-Wing. X-Wing, they eventually came out with the Scum and Villainy set. 
But with Armada, they only did Rebels and Empire. They always talked about, oh, we're going to eventually add a third faction. But I guess the sales weren't there. But they just didn't keep up with the system. And now they just, as far as I know, you can't even order it anymore from Fantasy Flight. That's such a shame. Yeah. And they went more towards Star Wars Legion. So, that brings us to the biggest elephant in the room. Spartan Games. Spartan Games and Firestorm Armada. So, I used to listen to an old podcast, which to my knowledge is now defunct because they, they quit doing it. Maybe they picked it back up, but I haven't. Anyway, it was Jaded GamerCast. Ah, I used poor, to like poor that. 40, 40 for our homies over yes. at the Jaded Gamers. Now, um, they absolutely hated Games Workshop and did nothing but poop on them. But they loved Spartan Games. Now, also, Spartan has had a lot of issues and whatnot, but yeah. um, they love Firestorm Armada. So listening to them, I was like, dude, I got to try this Firestorm Armada. I've always loved naval games, all that. And I remember back at store number one before Chairgate, when mm-hmm. Firestorm Armada first came out, mm-hmm. I had actually started playing it. I was playing as the Cerulean Collective. I remember you had metal models, right? They were metal. Oh, no, they were uh, semi, some, it was half plastic, half metal. Oh, okay. Like certain pieces were metal, like turrets and stuff. Oh. And like the rear ends of the Cerulean ships mm-hmm. were all metal, which sucked because it made them ass heavy. <laughs> and they would just constantly like fall over. So, and I remember selling those Ceruleans, I think, back to the game store because I didn't like it that much. Because mm. I couldn't find anybody to play it. And then you mentioned about playing it. I was like, oh my god, I remember that game. I've been yep. wanting to find somebody to play it with. And then we both started playing it with each other. And we both love the game, yeah. Firestorm Armada. We love it. Yeah. Uh, it was in, what, 2.0, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I even went out and made custom warships, as you know, uh-huh. for my facts. I made a custom faction because you know me. I have to be a yep. a uh, specialist butterfly uh-huh. with all of my stuff. So yeah, I made... your lore, your backstory, your models, yeah. everything was custom, yeah. Yeah. And um, to, to do it, and I have, like, what, like... I think I've built over two twenty five hundred points, which is a lot in that game. Yeah, a whole lot. Yeah, that's like two warships, a dreadnought, uh, two capital class ships, uh-huh. a dreadnought, uh, plus like I think nine different cruisers <laughs> and a boatload of frigates. So from I never played Battlefleet Battle Gothic, but for what what I've been told is that Spartan Games, um, the uh, Firestorm Armada is very similar to Battlefleet Gothic. Yes. Which the firing arcs, and you can only move so fast because you have a momentum with your big ships and, and whatnot. And and all that. Yeah. Um, which was awesome. I really enjoyed that game. Then Spartan Games kind of crapped out and sold all of their properties to other companies. Yeah, they actually sold predominantly, I believe, Dystopia Wars and uh, Firestorm Armada to the same company that does Wild West Exodus. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, no, they, they, Wild West Exodus was sold to this company as well. They're not the makers of Wild West Exodus. The people that make Battle Foam were the made, makers of Wild West Exodus. They sold WWX to this company, and this company also bought Firestorm and uh, Dystopia Wars and all that. Wow. Yep. So. And as far as we know, they've gone dark. There's no... You mean on, yeah, they're still publishing Wild West Exodus stuff, but they've pretty much gone dark on the Firestorm Armada. Yeah. Now, Far- Spartan Games has a very, very bad relationship with the community because if you feel like GW 10 years ago did not support their own games by issuing FAQs and all that, good God, you have not seen Spartan Games. Spartan yeah. Games were the worst when it came to uh, rules and supplements and FAQs and all that. And so- I remember there was an article that was released and it was one of the guys who play tested for the company. 
he would explain that the reason why that it was like that is because the owner of Spartan Games was uh, excessively hands-on about stuff. Yes, he micromanaged everything, yeah. and he was also a bit ADHD. Yeah. So when he got excited about something like the Halo Wars game, he yeah. would go hardcore into that and completely neglect all the other uh, brands yeah. that he had. And so um, Firestorm Armada, here here would be a typical game of playing Firestorm Armada. I bought these new ships. That's really cool. I wonder where the rules are. I look in the main rule book. Wait, they don't have rules there. I look in my army book. Wait, they don't have rules there. Oh, this set of ships that I bought, the rules can only be found in this one box set for these ships that they sell on their website and they don't come with rules. So what on earth is that about? Now, eventually they would solve this issue by making everything PDF downloadable. Yes, but they still didn't they still didn't release all the ships. Oh, I know. They said they were quote unquote working on it for like eight months. And that's because, like <laughs> we said, the owner was very micromanaging and his mind was placed to other areas. Yes. So both of us love Firestorm Armada, but the game was a lot like the older GW games like Battlefleet Gothic where or one Blood Bowl for that matter. Or Blood Bowl, where one game would take well uh Blood Bowl's still smaller scale, but yeah. But where one game would take four hours to play. Yeah. Like, there was no fast Firestorm Armada. So they supposedly said that they were making a newer, faster version of it, which apparently somewhat didn't do well and kind of tanked. Yeah. Uh, which was a faster, briefer version. I think version. it was like Firestorm Armada Task Force. Task Force. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to think of it. And so, they made the ships, like, fire a lot less shots, but also made them weaker ships in general. Yes. And they said you could use the same ships in Task Force, that you could use them in Firestorm Armada. But, of course, the rules were only found in the Task Force box. Right. <laughs> and made, but and it also made no sense to me that why would you bring shittier ships to a gunfight? Granted, they might be cheaper point-wise, but... True. But, I mean, swarm mentality, if you want to try to, like... I don't know. That's like saying, like, you're trying to make a hundred toddlers fight Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which I would pay to see. Which I would pay to see. <laughs> don't get me wrong. It'd be baller as crap. But you're going to get a lot of dead toddlers. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just saying. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, maybe the last toddler will finally get a lucky shot on Dwayne the Rock Johnson's jugular. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? It's it's not really... Yeah, you don't want a toddler. They get a couple teeth. You don't want them clamping on your jugular. Oh, yeah. That's, no, that's no, no, bad no. news. Yeah, they latch on tight. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that was a tirade we went off on. But uh, the, the point is, though, is that we, we wonder why has nobody else, being that Spartan Games went under... Look at the Star Trek and, game. Star and, Trek Warship Games. Star there Trek was, wasn't that like the issue with that was that they originally HeroClix came out with one, then HeroClix eventually tried to re-release it as a different game so, with different templates. Yeah, it was Star Trek Tactics. Yeah, and um, they they made Starfleet ships, and I own almost one of every single one of them, multiples of several. Yeah, we played and, a couple of games. I remember, and it uses I liked, the Hero- I liked playing the Dominion. It uses the HeroClix rules. Mm-hmm. But the issue with it is, is that the scale of the ships, they did not give a crap about the scale of the ships. So you've got the Defiant, which is a very small fighter, yeah. is the same size as the Enterprise D. We're like, what? The Enterprise D is a, is a, is a Why, huge yeah. flagship. Why is the Defiant a frigate class the same size as that? Now, later editions of uh, Starfleet uh, Tactics, uh, they, they Star Trek Tactics, they did start honing in the scale but the original ones were gigantic yeah. or, or small. Some of them were too small. Whatever. It was stupid. Yeah. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So when I see something, you know, the Defiant being the same size as the Enterprise D, I'm like, what? Yeah. One's a Galaxy, one, you know, one's a Defiant class. They're two different. Anyway. 
So, uh, I mean, even as a star, as a non-Star Trek fan, it's one of the things that bugs me about Star Wars uh, Warship games too. Like, especially with Star Wars Armada, one of my biggest gripes was the inaccuracy in size of Star Destroyers. Like, they made the Gladiator class, which is supposed to be a anti-pirate Star Destroyer. Okay. So it's supposed to meant to be small, maneuverable, easy to manufacture. You could send like one or two into a sector, mm-hmm. a backwater sector. And it could easily handle and interdict in pirate situations. Okay. Um, they made this thing like it was about 50% the size of a full-fledged Imperial 2 Star Destroyer. And it should not have been. No. An Imperial 2 Star Destroyer would be like the Galaxy class uh-huh. in size. Oh, admittedly, I think it's larger. I'd have to see the comparison, but I think they're bigger than what the Galaxy. What was the one that had like the giant disc that could do disc separation? That's, that's Galaxy class. That's the Galaxy yeah. class? Yeah, I would say... Maybe it's about the size of two galaxies. Yeah, it's it's pretty large. Yeah. But like but then you understand what I mean when I say a gladiator class It's which, way off. Which should be roughly the size of a Nebulon B frigate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or I would say even maybe a Defiant. It'd probably be about the same size as Defiant, actually. But it's it's far off. Way yeah. off, yeah. Yeah, that take that takes it out of you too. When you know yeah. that that's wrong, and you're like, "Come on, you can't yeah. do." You, you could do better than that. You got to pay attention to it. Yeah. Matter of fact, it would save them money if they actually made a lot of them the appropriate size, like the Defiant. It would yeah. be way less plastic to make it the actual scale size because yeah. it should be much. It should be a quarter of the size it was. I agree, and I feel like if you rescaled the Star Wars Armada stuff, they probably would save a bank on it because yeah. that was a big complaint. It's like, why is the Home One so small compared to? Like a regular, you know, Mon Calamari warship, where Home One's supposed to be like this ginormous Mon Calamari turd, as I call them, because uh-huh. you know what they look yeah. like. Yeah. Um, but it's just that the scaling was way off with a lot of their ships. Now, eventually, like you said too, they would hone that in, but it's too little, too late. Yeah. Um, and then so what else happened with the Star Trek? Uh, system that just caused it to, to disappear uh what really hurt them is they the set it was like the fourth set star trek tactics four i think mm-hmm. um they came out with the borg which was really cool yeah and i'm sure that sold really well but they jacked up the price of each single model it was like five dollars a model mm. for a blind booster uh, and guess what? You might get a shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's really cool. I've just gotten my fifth bug ship that yes. I'm never going to use. Yes. Meanwhile, you're looking for that Borg cube, Borg sphere, whatever. Yeah. Um, now, the Borg cubes were massive. Yeah. So, um, and they should be massive. Yeah. But the issue is, is that you were, you know, they offset the cost of those by increasing the prices of all the others. And that basically made everyone mad. Just like you say, X-Wing with X-Wing 2.0, a lot of people got mad. Yeah. Well, that's what happened there. And then they sold like crap. And so. then didn't they eventually like create like a whole new system? Or was that a different company that tried to make a Star Trek system? Oh, uh, Fancy Flight Games has a Star Trek game that is a lot like X-Wing called um, Star Trek? Attack Wing or something? Attack Wing. Yeah. And that apparently has flubbed too. Yeah. Um, it was popular for a while. but Now, I know there is another uh, space and ground one that's like combined called drop fleet commander yes and i've heard drop zone or drop Drop. well there's drop zone which is the ground one and drop fleet oh okay are they they work together that's cool um which i think is pretty cool honestly though i don't like the models oh you know what i mean and it's just aesthetically speaking they just don't speak to me you don't like the races and the yeah the look of them and which is a bummer and also from what i've heard there's not a lot of people playing it 
Yeah, it sucks. These games, I mean, you got to get a community. How do you build a community? You need a community to start a community. Yeah. You need to have already people playing it which in is, order to... Which is an oxymoron. Yes. It's like saying, like, oh, you just got out of college. All of our opening positions require you to have four years of experience. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh... Yeah. I'll get right on that, chief. <laughs> so, um... Uh, so I guess what, what our real point behind saying this is, is there's a huge vacancy in this whole market, the wargaming market for ship battles. Yeah. Where where are all the ship battles? What? I would definitely play Dreadfleet. If yeah. they actually supported that and you could have like a whole dwarf army or oh, whatever, God. dude. I would buy that shit so fast, yeah. dude. Like, I'd be on it. It was awesome. And imagine like eventually they start incorporating Age of Sigmar stuff. So oh, like, man. An expansion pack for the dwarves as you get sky ships. Yeah. Like, that oh, would be awesome. Oh, yeah. And like you could launch the sky ships from the from the regular yep. warships, that'd be awesome. Ooh, ooh. So um, I just don't I don't know why I, I wonder maybe people in general like we're really interested in it, but maybe people in general aren't. Yeah. Maybe they don't sell very well. I, I I I see what you mean by that, you know. And it's hard to kind of create a whole new lore for somebody to want to be involved in. Too, True, which is something I feel. You know, was one of the big problems with a lot of Spartan games is that they tried to create these new worlds, but at the same time, they didn't give you enough fluff. You know, that's the truth. When I was trying to make my Aquan army, my backstory, yeah, there was very, very little to go off of. Yeah, and then so I had you help me come up with the backstory because it just when they when you have your entire race is like a paragraph. Yeah, that's all they give you. Then there's like it's you a, don't know what's appropriate, what's not appropriate for your backstory. Also, I found it kind of weird. There was no galactic map. Uh yeah, I don't think there was. Yeah, the, in the in the in the Firestorm Armada book, I don't remember ever seeing a galactic map kind of giving you a, a layout. They explained it in words, which is yeah. great. But I'm a visual kind of guy. It's one of the reasons why I always love looking at the rule books and stuff for Warhammer because all the cool maps and all the cool artwork. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there was something definitively lacking. In the Firestorm Armada books. I really miss it, though. Firestorm Armada. I really... We've been told for the last year um, from this new company that owns them, which I cannot remember their name, um, that they're working on a Firestorm Armada 3.0. They're going to redo the rule set. We've been waiting a full year now. Yep. Redoing the rule set, and I still have not heard anything. And every once in a while, I check in with like one of my Facebook groups at Firestorm. I'm like, hey, any news? And they're like, no. Like, oh, good. All right, okay. goodbye. Click. Yeah. Well... I still stand by that. I would like to play it soon, and I still stand by my challenge to you that we should play. Um, I think I'll have to dust it off eventually yeah. because um, but the thing is, just like uh, just James and I, at the end of seventh edition forty k, when you knew eighth was like a month out, suddenly we didn't feel like playing. Yeah, because but... we're like, why play an old edition? I want to play the new edition. And then like this for the last year, we've been promised, oh, there's a new edition coming out. Okay but now a year has passed and there's still no new edition. Yeah. Like, it's like, come on, stop teasing us. Yeah. So, um, and honestly, it does not take that long. Come on. They already have an entire system. Just tweak it, change it, streamline it. Like, yeah. they're not building it from the ground up, or at least they don't have to. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, they don't have to rebuild any models either. The models for Firestorm Armada were pretty freaking cool as is. Especially the newer models as they as they went along. They were nicer and nicer and nicer. Yeah, I mean, even the Terran stuff looked nicer, in my opinion. But I like having all the bristling gun batteries. So, yeah. I eventually started, when I incorporated my new ship designs and stuff for my faction... Even though I used them as Terrans, I, I kind of went with my own spiel mm-hmm. and my own design layout. But that's just me because I'm a special butterfly. Well, anyway, somebody 
please make a naval or space naval combat game and let us know. I will sell you my body if you do. <laughs> They're going to want more than that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for being on, Loremaster. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye. Let's get brutal. Welcome to another edition of Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron, where I discuss my free rules, use your own models, 28mm skirmish war game with RPG light elements, and we are currently continuing our coverage of supplement book number two, The Psychotropics, and we just finished up the Sand Sea, so what do we have for you today? We have the Swamps of Sadness, and that's one of my favorite uh, names for a place because of the whole, you know, Atreyu and, and Falcor or whatever they're called, uh, what was it, uh... Gosh. Uh, Never-ending story. There we go. So the Swamps of Sadness is possibly the most apt region in all of the Aether Realm. As most species would already deem a swamp to be a dreary place by default, the Swamps of Sadness seem to fully embrace that idea. A light green haze hangs over most of the swamp and is a very strong depressant to most humanoids who inhale it. Most merchants and travelers just avoid this area altogether due to its emotionally crushing nature. For the small population that lives here, it happens to be a great defense against most predatory plunder buns. It is not uncommon at all for an unsuspecting warband to show up and try to pillage, only to quit mid-siege, having lost all ambition to follow through. As far as the residents of this area... The rare few communities who are willing to live here all seem to end up with similar demeanor. Regardless of what species or race they are, nearly all settlements have adopted a very dour outlook on life. Long-term exposure to the gases seems to permanently depress the emotions of happiness, surprise, ambition, love, and humor. There are a few exceptions to this rule, though, and they are notable. A mysterious sorcery coven lives deep in the swamp, as well as several small groups of reptilians that excel in this environment. The largest township is in the north end of the Swamps of Sadness, but nobody seems to agree on a name for it. It is often referred to by travelers as Strangletown or The Strangle, due to its control over the Strangle Strait. This is a town populated by rogue androids, humanoid augments, species that don't breathe at all, or at the very least wear rebreathers and masks to filter the gas out. This is an authoritarian town ruled by a tyrannical android regent named Connell B. Under his direction, the town built drawbridges across the Strangle Strait in order to extort money from ships that want to take that shortcut. Uh, if they take that shortcut then they don't have to go all the way around the psychotropics, which is quite a long, you're probably talking weeks at sea. And if they can just do the strangle straight, it saves them a lot of time in shipping or whatever they're doing. So this has proven quite lucrative for the settlement and has helped them amass a full artillery battery in the case of a non-paying ship. Coupled with their export of sleep-inducing swamp gas called Zonk, this is a very well-armed and well-trained fighting force. Some say that Regent Connell B is one of the up-and-coming icons of bloodshed and wealth in the Aether Realm, but others say that nobody will ever rival Efrent from Efrent's Consortium. And I think that's all we're going to cover tonight. Um, when we get back to it next week, we will talk about the flora and fauna of the Swamps of Sadness. And I, as always, I really appreciate you listening to the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast, 
And please support us on Patreon if you uh, feel it in your heart to do so. Also leave us a review on Stitcher or iTunes or any of those places because that also helps people find our show. Either one of those I will greatly appreciate. And I think that's it. We'll see you next Monday.